from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, the uproar on the left continues following the elimination of one of Iran's top military leaders responsible for terrorizing people both inside and outside Iran. General Jerry Boykin is here on both the justification of the drone strike on Iranian General Soleimani in Iraq last week and a response to the left. Those on the left are crying the American action as an act of terrorism itself. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is reacting by introducing a war powers resolution mandating the administration's military action cease within 30 days. Ohio Congressman Brad Winstrup, an Army veteran who served in Iraq and a member of the House Intel Committee, weighs in. Also, Friday, I was with President Trump at a rally at a large Hispanic church in Miami. I'll talk about it with Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Christian Fellowship, who was also there for the massive event. And finally, we began the new year with an invitation for folks across America to stand on the word. I'll talk about why it is increasingly important that we do so in the culture in which we live. FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, David Clawson, will join me for that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. All right, last Friday, President Donald Trump ordered the strike on Iranian General Soleimani, uh, Iran's highest-ranking general. U.S. drone missiles uh, hit the vehicles carrying Soleimani and his entourage of Iraqi Shiite militiamen. The president made brief remarks at uh, Mar-a-Lago, where he was uh, wrapping up his Christian vacation at the Winter White House prior to actually uh, helicoptering over to Miami for the event with uh, evangelicals. This is what uh, President Trump had to say. Soleimani made the death of innocent people his sick passion. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel, but we caught him in the act and terminated him. The action has got, has garnered broad support from conservatives. Republican Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina was in full agreement with President Trump's action. The president took a decisive action. He took the right action and candidly will save American lives. Joining me now with his analysis is Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Family Research Council's executive vice president. Spent 36 and a half years in the United States Army, serving in his, his last four years as a deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence at the Pentagon. He was one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force and commanded all of the Army's Green Berets. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be back. And I, I know Friday you were on uh, Shannon Bream's show uh, or in the earlier part of the program talking about this. I was on right after you talking about the events in uh, in Miami. Uh, let's uh, let's start with just give us a little background on General Soleimani and who he is. Yeah, in 1998 he became the really the uh, commander of uh, the IRGC, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and the Quds Force. Now the Quds Force is uh, sort of a paramilitary organization, but this guy is the most powerful man in the Iranian military of any service. He's the most powerful man, and he is also, as far as I am concerned, and I think many analysts would agree, the world's leading terrorist. He is a guy that introduced the enhanced IEDs into Iraq, 
and into Afghanistan. That's the one that took off the legs and the arms right. and body parts of so many of our American soldiers. In fact, in the next uh, segment, uh, Congressman Brad Wenstrup, who did medic work in yeah. uh, Iraq, is going to talk about that, that that was actually uh, something traced back to Soleimani. Right. Now, during the uh, the Christmas uh, holiday break, you and I talked about uh, you were part of a program we did on uh, on Iraq. Mm-hmm. And the, the concern we had, of course, going into the break, we saw this. We had a number of meetings because we saw the uh, things were unsettled, and we knew there was a short fuse. Didn't know it was going to be this short. Uh, but the militias that were operating, in particular in the Nineveh Plains, where you have religious minorities and Christians, and this is what we were talking about there, that those religious minorities are not coming back to those communities that were displaced because of the lack of safety, and primarily it was because of the militias and their link to Iran. And Soleimani was a key part of that. Soleimani was the uh, puppet master. He was the one that not only orchestrated their funding, but also orchestrated a great deal of their materiel, their weapons, their ammunition, and so forth. Uh, and then gave them directions in terms of what they were to do. Well, a lot of the funding actually came from the United States. Well, a lot of the material came from the the United States. To Baghdad, and then he was directing where it went. That's exactly right. And that was, those weapons and ammunition were things we promised the Kurds. Uh, The problem was we sent them to Baghdad, and then Soleimani's influence there obviously siphoned them off for his uh, his militias, his uh, Shia militias, and they have been very dangerous. And in the plains of Nineveh, they have killed unknown numbers of uh, Kurds as well as Christians and Yazidis, and none of those religious minorities are able to reoccupy any of their right. traditional homelands. They're, they're afraid to come back right. um, because of the militias, yeah. again, um, predominantly controlled by Iran. Mm-hmm. Now, the... The president in taking this action, was he justified? Tony, this is the most insane thing that I I think I've heard in a long, long time is this questioning whether he should have taken this guy out. If he had not taken this guy out, I would consider it to be an, an act of malfeasance. This guy was planning more attacks on Americans. He had killed Americans in the past and maimed thousands of Americans. And here he was in a two-minute window knowing that he was there to plan more attacks on Americans. If the president hadn't taken him out, it would have been, I think, an irresponsible decision on the president's part. We've seen many on the left have seen a lot of Hollywood actors, not that they have a legitimate voice. I mean, they have a right to speak to this. But what I find uh, Intolerable is the hypocrisy, mm-hmm. uh, saying that they're actually apologizing mm-hmm. to Iran for the actions of America, and one going so far as to say that, you know, help, we're being held hostage in our own country mm-hmm. by a government that is acting as a terrorist government. Now, you, you mentioned this earlier today, and, and it might be helpful to our listeners to know that. Donald Trump is not the first one that has used drone strikes against terrorists uh, on foreign soil. In fact, uh, President Barack Obama used them extensively. In fact, uh, in Yemen, uh, taking out 
uh, an American citizen who was linked to terrorism. Yeah, he took out Anwar Alalaki, an imam from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was actually the imam of the of the mosque right here in northern Virginia, well, in Maryland, actually, I think, where Nadal Hassan actually was radicalized. And uh, he was taken out. I never heard the left talk about an assassination, particularly an assassination of an American citizen. It was not an issue. They applauded him for it. This is a double standard. The president has the authority to do what he did, even Jay Johnson, the former Homeland Security Secretary, has come out very publicly now and said, no, he had the authority to do what he did. And by the way, Tony, would you want that bunch that uh, that we've watched over the last few months go through the Mueller investigation and go through the impeachment process, would you want anybody in that group to know what he was about to do beforehand? Yeah. They're griping about not being told. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a whole – I agree with you. You can't keep – they're certainly not going to keep it under wraps. But the hypocrisy aspect yeah. of this – in fact, you know, I, I recall uh, very clearly that when the president took those decisive actions – I remember when he ordered the Navy SEALs mm-hmm. uh, to uh, – I forget the specific specific case where there was an act of piracy – Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Navy SEALs, Captain tre- Phillips, yes, did a tremendous job. Mm-hmm. We applauded the president yeah. uh, for taking that decisive action. That was President Barack Obama. Yep. When American lives are at stake, mm-hmm. uh, which the president has said they had good intelligence to say that strikes were being prepared, and we know from what had taken place in the uh, nearly two months in the un- unrest in Iraq that people were being snatched up at night, people were being killed, civilians were being killed in the streets, and this this attack on the U.S. Embassy was not Iraqis. This was, this was driven by Iran. This is, a, this is what he was largely tasked with, in addition to overseeing the, the elite force of the Revolutionary Guard, was the use and application of, of uh, the surrogates mm-hmm. in the battle against the United States. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that uh, part of the problem here is most of these people don't remember 1979, uh, 5th of November 1979, when the, the, uh, the Iranians broke every international convention with regards to American embassy or any embassy and the sovereignty of that embassy. You know, that's sovereign U.S. soil that they, they, they attacked. Right. And when they went into that embassy on the 5th of November 1979 and stayed there 444 days, they were, they were violating every international law with regards to diplomatic immunity, sovereignty of the embassies, and so forth. Uh, in fact, I stood in the desert and watched eight good men die one night trying to rescue those 52 Americans there. So I have no sympathy whatsoever for these people on the left that are carping now about uh, us going to war with Iran. You know, the war started in 1979, and it has not ceased. It's war by other means. Right. But it has not ceased. Well, I think this president standing up to them and openly um, eliminating those leaders of this effort, I think, will go a long way in actually resolving 
the matter. I don't think they want to stand up to the United States. They do not want to go to war with us. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this before we run out of time, General Boykin. Um, uh, General Soleimani, both in Iran and outside, was a threat, was a tyrant to those that did not subscribe to their view of, of Islam. What are Christian leaders, uh, even in Iran, saying now? Yeah, the Christians in Iran, I just talked to one back in May that's been there 12 years, a Christian pastor in the underground church. And he said that the people in Iran, particularly in the capital city, hate their government. And he said that they don't even allow them anymore to play the uh, prayer call from the from the towers. Uh, the the uh, imams are not able to do that because they call it noise pollution. He said they're fed up with Islam. And they're really fed up with the Supreme Council in Qom, which is, is, is the mullahs that actually run the country. And the only reason they don't rise up was because of that general that we killed and his thugs who have already killed over 1,500 people out there protesting in the streets, wanting their government to step down. Well, obviously, this is going to be something that continues to unfold in the days ahead, but it is clearly linked with religious freedom both in Iran, Iraq, and that region of the world. General, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, don't go away. When we come back, we'll get congressional reaction to the decisive strike by President Trump. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the lead Democrat from California, has introduced a war powers resolution mandating that the administration's military action with regard to Iran cease within 30 days. We'll talk with Congressman Brad Winstrup of Ohio here on Washington Watch when we return. Don't go away. More to come. Join FRC Live via webcast for the 15th annual Pro-LifeCon Digital Action Summit. On January 24th from FRC's headquarters in Washington, you'll hear from political leaders, bloggers, journalists, and activists who will share how they view social media and other digital tools to further the pro-life message. You'll be empowered to better reach your own communities by learning best practices from those who are at the cutting edge of the digital pro-life movement. Tune in Friday, January 24th at 8 a.m. at ProLifeCon.com. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Family Research Council's new podcast features selected talks by top thinkers from the archives of the FRC Speaker Series. Our podcast podium takes on tough issues like religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture, all from a biblical worldview. Listen with us to the lecture, then stick around afterward as we break down the content. The Lecture Me podcast is available wherever podcasts are found or visit frc.org slash podcasts. Ever hear the term toxic masculinity? Hello, this is Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. Masculinity is under attack in our culture. The American Psychological Association released guidelines declaring traditional masculinity ideology as harmful. Brown University and Ivy League School offered a course, Unlearning Toxic Masculinity, explaining that rigid definitions of masculinity are toxic to men's health. In the University of Texas class, Masculine UT treated masculinity as if it were a mental health crisis. Thankfully, the culture does not have the last word on true masculinity. God does. Our Stand Courageous Men's Conferences offer biblical solutions to the crisis of manhood. We seek to help men develop character, cultivate habits, build relationships, and make commitments that will move them closer 
to God's design. Check out StandCourageous.com for an event in your area. That's StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to be back behind the microphone after a little time away, and so glad to have you tuned in. We'll continue our conversation about the strike that President Trump authorized last Friday that took out the top Iranian general, Soleimani. And um, we're going to get now reaction from Congress. Joining me is Congressman Brad Winstrup, who represents the 2nd District of Ohio. He serves on the House Intelligence Committee and is an Army veteran who served in Iraq. Congressman Winstrup, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. Now, you, uh, you, your tweet is highly relevant to a discussion that we're having. In fact, just talking with General Boykin about this. And, and you talked about the legitimacy of President Trump's decision. You tweeted, when I was in Iraq, we had forensics to show who was orchestrating the attacks and killing our men, and it was Soleimani. Uh, that's pretty telling. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for those of us that have served and have endured the loss of troops and the naming of our troops, it's it's personal to us at this point. You know, the, when you have soldiers that were with you at breakfast one day and, and later in the day you get them back and they are deceased. And it's uh, it, this is what this guy's done. So when people talk about this, this is not just numbers. This is 608 Americans that we, we count up. And the Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, they are Americans that were killed by this man, and he's been killing all around the world. He is the disruption in the Middle East, if you will. And as a country, we have, you know, with the Iranians, we've used diplomacy. Uh, we gather our intelligence. We have used economic sanctions. And in this case, we use military, which we have been doing, by the way. So, you know, here's a combatant in Soleimani. He may wear a uniform, but he is a terrorist. He runs a terrorist organization and has for some time and really pretty successfully. So you have a chance to take him out. It's no different than getting al-Baghdadi, no different than getting Osama bin Laden. You know, people are worried about retaliation, and we should be. We always should be. But keep in mind what's happened in the last month or so. They, they shot down one of our UAVs. They killed an American in Kirkuk. And then they attacked our our embassy. Uh, you know, they've already made the actions. And we have a president that says we're not going to have another hostage situation at our embassy like in 1979, uh, which was miserable for America. And we're not going to have another Benghazi where there was no rescue attempt from the previous administration. This administration says we will protect American interests. We will protect Americans and especially our, our diplomats. And we're going to take action against the person that has caused this. And I, I want to point out one other thing when it comes to these strikes like this. Under Barack Obama, there were about 14,000 strikes in Iraq and about 13,000 in Syria, all without congressional approval. And I don't quite understand Mrs. Pelosi's notion about the 30 days, for example. We're, we're not going to be killing him every day for 30 days. And, you know, the man has been taken out. He, is, he has been killed. But we will respond to the threats against America. And intelligence reports have shown that we have very good reason. And as General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said, we would be culpably negligent if we did not act on this man and prevent further deaths to Americans. 
you know, I look back, Bill Clinton had a chance to take out Osama bin Laden. And, you know, in that situation, he decided not to, froze or whatever. Think what could have been prevented. Think what could have been prevented. And that's what we can never measure. And we have to go in the good faith and trust of our leaders that are making a decision to protect America. Well, I've made that point before with Bill Clinton because it came during the midst of his impeachment where he hesitated and they could have taken out Osama bin Laden and saved thousands of American lives. I do want to point out to, for the benefit of our listeners, you mentioned, you know, as, the, as Soleimani was the head of the Revolutionary Guard, the Quds Force, they were declared a terrorist organization uh, just Absolutely. a few months ago. So this is a terrorist organization. He was the head of it, and the president took him out. I should also underscore, and we were talking about this earlier with General Boykin, that Soleimani was responsible for controlling the actions of the militias there in uh, Iraq, which were being funded in large part by the United States, which was harassing Christians and religious minorities trying to come back to their communities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. This is, these are U.S. dollars that President Obama gave them, and they have used them not to help the people of Iran, uh, but they, we've seen just in the last several months. You know, with gas prices going up, the sanctions are working. It's been a challenge for for Iran with that, and their people are acting out. They want it. They may want a regime change. We're not trying for that. But that may be what they want. They certainly want some want some freedom, and they don't like what their country has been doing. Certainly, they can put on a display with all the people mourning Soleimani and, and send that out. But we've seen that since 1979, haven't we? Right. This is nothing new coming out of Iran. But the day-to-day person in Iran, and I say this similar to when I served in Iraq, in Iraq, what I found amongst the Iraqi people, they want what we want. They want to be able to raise their family, educate their kids, and have a life. It's those that are seeking power that are the problem. And so this is, this is where we are, and I think that it was a good choice. That's not to say we don't have to be vigilant. No one's declaring war. And if this is a step that can, can somehow bring Iran back to the table, either directly or indirectly through a third country, then we should take that opportunity. And I think that that's what this president's trying to do. Well, and I hope it also gives the people of Iraq, Iraq, that were pushing back against the Iranian influence uh, on their country, the ability to, uh, to chart a path forward for themselves. Uh, this could be the opening, and hopefully we'll be there to help. I, I agree. And, you know, from what I understand, when they passed the resolution in Iraq to ask America to leave a non-binding resolution, by the way, the, the uh, Sunnis and the Kurds were not present. It was That's the right. Shia that showed up for that vote. So, you know, this is not what the majority of people in Iraq want. And really, I, I think that a large portion of the Iranian people are just as pleased that Soleimani has gone as well, because he and the regime have been putting their country in grave danger and punishing their people. Keep in mind, they've been killing their own people and incarcerating them just because they want a better day. Right. I've been hearing the uh, same thing from people in country. Congressman Brad Winstrup, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for all the good works you do. 
All right, appreciate it, uh, Congressman Brad Winship. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Don't go away. When we come back, a massive rally last Friday evening in Miami, Florida, at Hispanic Church. I was there, and so was my next guest. Greg Laurie joins me next. Don't go away. We're right back after this. Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Last Friday uh, evening, President Trump traveled to a bilingual megachurch in Miami, Florida, where he spent uh, more than an hour with a capacity standing room only crowd. In fact, there were folks uh, still lined up outside uh, to discuss his administration's achievements on everything from the economy and Hispanic unemployment to his appointment of 187 constitutionalists to the courts defunding Planned Parenthood, and defending religious liberty and the sanctity of human life. At the Evangelicals for Trump event, one Trump, uh, one Trump campaign advisor said, quote, there are plenty of evangelical Americans who maybe didn't support President Trump in the last election because they didn't believe he was a true ally, but who are now taking a second look at him because of his record. I think that is an accurate statement. In fact, it's my prayer that evangelical Christians will look closely at his record in every arena, from the economy to his passion advocacy for the unborn, in both policies domestic and foreign. And, of course, religious freedom is at the top of that list. Uh, Surrounded, as the event opened, he was surrounded by evangelical leaders who have been closely aligned with his administration. And one of those was Pastor Jensen Franklin of Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. And he prayed for the president. Listen to just a portion of his prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for this nation that was born in 1776. We pray in 2020 it would be born again. We pray for your spirit to move across our nation and we humble ourselves and we pray. And we humbly ask you to bless our nation and to bless our president, Donald Trump. Lord, I thank you that America didn't need a preacher in the Oval Office. It did not need a professional politician in the Oval Office, but it needed a fighter and a champion for freedom. And Lord, that's exactly what we have. I thank you, Lord, that he doesn't claim to be perfect, but he is passionate. He's passionate to stop the merciless killing of the unborn. He's passionate to raise people from poverty. And six million have been moved from food stamps to the dignity of work. He is passionate, oh God, to see our Supreme Court filled with men and women who will stand for justice for all. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have begun. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, joining me now is Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Christian Fellowship, who was at the event in Miami. Greg, good to have you back on Washington Watch. Tony, good to be with you. And I'm just, that's an amazing prayer. And that, to me, is one of the biggest, two big uh, takeaway points from that rally last Friday. Number one, the president launched his campaign from a church. I've never heard of that happening before. It happened in a church, and that was intentional on the part of the president in his administration. And number two, 
he had people pray for him. Now, a, a number of years ago, I was given the opportunity to pray at the Republican convention for George W. Bush, who was running for reelection. I had to turn my prayer in. I had to have my prayer screened. I had to literally practice and rehearse my prayer uh, with someone listening in and making suggestions. In this instance, the president walked up there with a group of people around him. Jensen was not scripted. He was not, uh, he didn't have to rehearse it. He prayed from his heart, and the president humbled himself, wanting this prayer, knowing he needs this prayer. So to me, this is a huge thing that people need to pay attention to because people like to paint, you know, the president with broad strokes. Oh, he's arrogant. Oh, I don't like the things that he tweets and this and that. And there is some truth to some of those tweets. I th- we think all right. probably think he shouldn't send all of them out. But this is a man that I've seen on multiple occasions, and you have too, Tony, including the Oval Office, humble himself and ask for and receive prayer. That's a big deal to me. Well, you're right to point that out, uh, Greg, because I was sitting next to uh, to my friend Chris Hodges uh, yeah. from Birmingham, and, and, and I told Chris, I said, look, I've been around politics for 25 years. Yeah. I said, what you just witnessed there was historic. I have never seen a president of either party allow people to pray unscripted for yeah. him in public as as they did. It was yeah. amazing to watch. It really was. And, and I think that uh, when you're in a room with the president, as you've been and I've been on multiple occasions, you know, it's sort of a different person. I think the view the public has of him is, is somewhat combative. And that is because most of the time when you see him, he's answering questions from a press that is very critical of him. But when he knows he's among friends, like at a rally or at this church last Friday, it's a different Trump. And when you're with him in a small meeting, here's what I've told people, and it surprises them. I say he's he's a good listener. He's interested in what other people have to say. He's open to hear the opinions of others. He wants prayer from people. He especially has an interest in what the evangelical community is thinking. He solicits it. You know, so this is uh, unprecedented. Uh, And you would know this better than I, Tony, because of your vast experience there in the Capitol. But, but, you know, I've I've had a peek into a a couple of administrations, and, and this really stands out to me. And, and, you know, I believe that uh, we should be praying for our president, and that's so obvious because we should pray for any president. But I'll tell you, when I post on social media, pray for the president, that to many is somehow controversial, and that's just crazy to me. Greg, we're up against a break, but can you stick around for two minutes because I want to sure. ask you one more question about the policies of this administration. Yeah. And what Christians should make of that. So Greg Laurie is going to stick around, folks. I hope you will as well. We're going to finish the conversation on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come in just a moment. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. 
Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. A strong case can now be made that China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith, especially Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong. The Chinese Communist Party's movement against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these human rights and religious freedom violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. That's frc.org slash China. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion. Last... Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, at T. Perkins, my guest, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, Harvest Christian Fellowship in California. He was uh, at an event in Miami last uh, Friday evening that I attended with uh, the president. Uh, Greg, um, you know, a lot of, well, not a lot. There are some that are critical of evangelicals for supporting the, the president, especially in the press. Um, and then there are some left-leaning uh, Christians uh, that echo that same message. But when you look at the president's, the policies of this administration, whether it's the sanctity of human life, whether it's the promotion of religious freedom, both domestically and in our foreign policy, the appointment of judges that are bound to the Constitution, there's, there's no comparison to what this administration has done in three years. And should that be relevant to Christians when they consider how, to, how they're going to vote? Well, it has to be relevant because no president in history has been as strong of an advocate in defending the rights of the unborn as President Trump has been. He, and as you mentioned, he's appointed justices and judges that hold strict constructionist views of the Constitution. And then, you know, he moved the U.S. Embassy uh, to Jerusalem. Other presidents have promised it. Trump did it. And then he told us he wants to bring prayer back to public schools. Isn't that what we've been talking about for years? This is something we want. And here is a president who's willing to use his bully pulpit and the power of the pen. Uh, president Obama often talked about the power of that pen. Here's a president that wants to use it for good. And, you know, we need to support this. You know, it's a package deal. Sometimes he comes off as abrasive. Uh, Trump is not Reagan-esque, if you will. But he is who he is, and he gets things done. And when he makes a promise and or a threat, he backs it up. And isn't that what we've been looking for? So, you know, I I think that uh, to not support this is crazy. And what is your alternative? You want socialism and secularism and 
and actually enable and strengthen people who want to actually attack the church? Well, I certainly don't want that. So I, I think uh, his policies and what he's done, it's amazing. And there's such a clear contrast between the the two parties and what they're offering. Yeah. And and I, one one pastor, I don't remember who it was, I was discussing this with in Miami, said, "Look, under whose policies are we going to be more more likely to be able to preach the gospel freely?" Yeah. And that's I mean, that's the big question because really, when it's all said and done, you know, people like to misrepresent us as believers and say we want to legislate morality. You know, really, what we want is we want to be left alone. Absolutely, we, we want to be able to have our voice heard in the public square. We want to persuade people. We don't want to force anyone to believe anything. We want to convince people, uh, and we want that freedom. And, and I think this is a president that is supporting us. And let's not forget that he has surrounded himself with strong evangelical. Uh, ben Carson, Vice President Pence, Mike Pompeo, and others that, that have a strong faith in Christ that motivates them in what they do. I mean, this, this, I've never seen this before, and I know you haven't either. I have not, uh, but I do hope to see more of it, yes. uh, like at least another four years of it. So, Greg Laurie, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. It was great to see you last Friday. Tony, thank you, and thank you for being a, a voice sometimes in the wilderness over these years. Uh, for the Lord in our nation's capital, and we're so thankful for what you do. Well, thank you. That's uh, much appreciated. Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. I mentioned this at the top of the program, but beginning of the year, FRC launched a a two-year initiative, Stand on the Word. And we're encouraging families, and and thousands have already joined us, in a daily Bible reading. Six days a week, seventh day, or first day, however you look at it. On Sundays, we have a day of discussion. And we're encouraging families to do this. And and this is extremely important. In fact, I want to share just a thought as to why this is so important. It comes from the first day's reading. January the 1st, we read, began in Genesis 1 and 3. And in Genesis uh, chapter 3... Verse 1, a very familiar passage. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the both of them, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You see, Standing on the word of God, repelling the artful and subtle attacks upon God in his word, which are designed to undermine God's authority and the accuracy of his word, begins with knowing what he has indeed said. You see, in this passage, and this is this is a tactic that Satan has used from the beginning of time. He used it with Jesus in the wilderness. He uses it today. It is the deception of Satan. See, the devil's deception does not begin with denying God's existence, but rather by distorting and undermining what he has said and by thereby denying his authority. Notice how he twists the word. 
He takes it out of context. You know, he said that to Eve that you uh, you can't eat of any tree of the garden. Well, that's not what God said, and he knew that. They could eat of freely of any tree of the garden except the one. But he distorts putting doubt in the mind of people about the word of God. In fact, as I mentioned, he used this with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was coming out of the wilderness and he misquoted or took out of context, I should say, Psalm 91. And that's the tactic that Satan has been using, the design, taking God's word out of context, not denying it, but taking out of context and distorting it. But, of course, that leads to the doubting of God's word, which leads to the disobeying of God's word. So what are we to do? Because this is relevant for today. In a culture that is denying the reality of truth, God's word is under attack. Now, they're not saying we should burn the Bibles and, you know, they're not outright rejecting it. They're undermining it. So what are we to do with those who would take Scripture out of, the, out of context or distort it? Well, actually, in Acts chapter 17, Paul commends the Bereans for knowing and searching the Scripture. In verse 11 of chapter 17, he says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were true. You see, we need to be examining the Scriptures. We need to know what the Word of God says so that we cannot be deceived. We can't, we won't take the distortions, which will then lead to doubt and disobedience. And the best way to do that is to spend time in the Word of God each and every day. And that's what this stand on the Word is all about. And it's a great, great family undertaking. But I think it's critical to our culture. Because actually what we're seeing is the old saying, you might recall this, if you can't beat them, join them. And so we see a lot of people kind of moving in to the evangelical world to try to distort the message because they can't defeat it. And the scripture talks about this, about those that speak with those with itching ears and they, they will twist the truth. How do we stand against that? We know the word of God. And that's never been more critical than it is right now. And even in this arena of public policy and politics. And joining me now to talk about this is David Clawson, who is with our Biblical Worldview Studies here at FRC. Uh, David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I hope you got a little bit of a break. A little bit. A little bit. I know you were uh, you're doing exams, working uh, to, to finish up prior to uh, the holidays, but is this is this relevant today? I mean, that, that Christians, when we're we're a public policy organization, we're working here in our nation's capital. Is it relevant that we challenge Christians to know the Word of God? Even even I would challenge people to to test what I say yes. uh, because I'm not infallible. It's the Word of God that's infallible, not me. But is it relevant to, to, to today's world in which we live? It's absolutely paramount and something I've mentioned on your show many times. That, you know, 7% of Americans uh, have a biblical worldview. That means the vast majority of our friends and neighbors don't have a biblical worldview. 
And if we think of, and that, you know, in my short time at FRC, I'm really excited about this Bible reading plan that we've launched. Because, Tony, there's nothing more important than reading God's Word. Because if you think about it, you know, God was not obligated to give us his word, uh, but he did. He graciously gave us this precious treasure uh, in his word, which is a revelation about himself, about who he is, about his love for us, about his plan of salvation and how we can be made right with him. And so the fact that we have God's word and we have it in our own language which many people around the world don't have, it's a precious treasure uh, that we need to be taking advantage of. Yeah, we don't have to guess no. what, what God is thinking or what he said because it is written down there for us, preserved, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, written over a period of time by different authors, but all linked together with the same message. Let's talk about how this same tactic I mentioned that, that was used in the Garden of Eden, yep. that was used against Jesus... Uh, is still being used today, the same tactic of distorting the Word of God. Are we seeing that today? Yes, we are. So not only do we need to be reading the Bible, we need to be rightly interpreting the Bible. So when I was in seminary at Southern Seminary, the very first class I took was hermeneutics. That's a big fancy word that just means rightly interpreting the Scripture. And I remember that my very first seminary professor said that the number one rule for this class is that context is king for determining meaning. And what he meant by that is there's a lot of people that are cherry-picking verses. It's what we call proof texting. They'll find a verse that then they can attach their own meaning to it. And then that's what leads to these really bad interpretations. And we're actually seeing this uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, there's many uh, Democrats who are running for their party's nomination. And actually, uh, secular media have noted that many candidates, more than in years past, are actually quoting Scripture on the campaign trail. But the problem is is that they are misquoting Scripture uh, to back these uh, policy proposals that are actually antithetical to what Scripture actually teaches. Right. And, 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 and before we get to some of those examples, this is, by the way, folks, you can find out about this Bible reading plan. Go to TonyPerkins.com. It's under episode resources. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a, a week late in joining us or not quite a week yet. Uh, just jump right in. Um, we got two years, so you got plenty of time. But I, I put a lot of this onto the pulpits of America, yes. David, because, you know, what the pulpit prioritizes, the people practice. And, and and not enough of not I, I just don't think a significant number of our pulpits in America are centralized on the on the word of God. I mean, they don't, they don't, our churches don't have the high view of Scripture that we once had. Now, it doesn't mean that they 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 don't believe it's true, that it's that it's the inerrant word of God, but they don't focus on it. They they spend time doing other things. I believe that we need to be reading the Word of God. We need to be spending time, you know, in and as you talk about in hermeneutics, we need to be taking these passages of Scripture and the exegesis and and not reading into it something we want, but rather reading out of it what God is saying to us and applying it to the world in which we live. Absolutely. The, 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 the question, and again, I learned this in seminary, when you come to a passage of Scripture, yeah, sometimes I think it's well-meaning. People say, well, what does that passage mean to you? I hear that all the what, Brother, what does that passage mean to you? Well, that's not the right question to ask. The question is, what does this passage mean? What is the objective meaning of this passage? And unfortunately, there's denom- whole denominations uh, that have rejected God's word, that have re- rejected the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture. But there are other uh, well 
well-meaning, conserv- theologically conservative denominations that unfortunately over the years are not prioritizing Scripture like they once right, did. Right. And we need to get back to that. And why is that so important uh, is some of these examples you have of how it's being misused. And if Christians don't know the word, they could be sucked into this. Absolutely. So just a couple examples from the campaign trail. I I talked about this a couple weeks ago on your show, but Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he famously uh, said on a radio interview back in September, he's since doubled down on it, uh, that he says, as a Christian, as someone who reads the Bible, the Bible teaches that life begins with breath. Therefore, it's okay for Christians to support abortion. Uh, Completely, that's not true at all. Um, and Joe Biden, actually, on the campaign trail, I think this was in October, he, he loosely trans, uh, gave a translation of Matthew 2540, which in context is about the final judgment. But Biden said, and here's the quote, he said, and he's quoting the scripture, what you're doing to the least of my children, you're doing to me. And Biden's interpretation on that was, well, we're all God's children. Who is to judge? Whether or not you're lesbian, gay, or trans, who is to make that judgment, especially if it's done from your heart? So, again, that's a passage that's talking about, it's eschatological. It's talking about the final judgment. It's where uh, Christ is talking about the sheep being separated from the goats. It has to do with uh, someone's final destiny. And Biden reads into that support for same-sex marriage and LGBT rights which is nowhere in the text. And so, again, if you're not familiar with the Scripture, you might hear him say that and say, oh, right. that sounds reasonable, but that's uh, complete. That's eisegesis. The, the good news is, as you pointed out, more people are talking about the Bible. Scripture has made its way into our public dialogue. The bad, the downside, it's being misused, which means we must know the Word of God yes. and rightly apply it. David Clawson, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Find out more about uh, David's work as the Director of our Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview at TonyPerkins.com and join us in the Bible Reading Program. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.